Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord, for your great mercy. We love you with all of our heart and all of our soul. Hallelujah. Let's stretch our hands to this great, 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 great Savior that's here today. God, we thank you for your wonderful presence. Thank you, my Lord, for your grace, your goodness, your grand mercy, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, God, I praise your name. God, I praise your name. God, I praise your name. Oh, God, I praise your name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. God, I praise you. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Gracious, gracious, gracious God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you this morning. While you're standing, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter number 11. Praise the Lord. I want to say thank you to everybody for all of your very, very kind comments, remarks, openness and hunger to the Word of the Lord. Um, if we are anything, if we ever do anything, if we ever become anything, if we ever accomplish anything, it is based solely upon the fact that somewhere along the line we learned how to respond to God. We are not the initiators. He is the initiator. But if He can find people to properly respond to the moving of His Spirit, properly respond to His Word, uh, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to work. It's going to work. And we will see great and greater, greater things than we ever have before. So, God bless you so much. Appreciate, again, the invitation to be here. And uh, it's good to see familiar faces and old friends. And, and thank God for His people. You do understand that God's people is the greatest thing going in this world. It really is. So, thank God we can be a part of it. I want to begin reading with verse number 3. Of Exodus chapter 11. I apologize for being late to church last night. Uh, at 8 o'clock, I heard a knock on the door. I guess I thought it was the door. I didn't know if it was from the nether regions. But I, I, I got up. I didn't even know where I was. This is my fourth, this is my fourth camp in a row, and I didn't even know where I was. <laughs> and I opened the door, and, and I realized I'm in Louisiana. I said, what time is it? He says, it's 8 o'clock, brother. <laughs> uh, so, Brother Jones here. I don't blame him if he's not. <laughs> okay. So, 
having made due apologies. Verse 3, Exodus 11, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. The Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And could we ask God one more time to minister in this house and in our hearts? Lord Jesus, we are utterly mindful of You this morning, recognizing Your beautiful, wonderful, gracious presence. We stand in awe of You. We ask that the Word of the Lord have free course. God, we ask that You help us to let it have entrance into every chamber of our heart. That you can direct our paths, God, in these slippery times. That we can not only stand, but to do a great, gracious work for your name's sake. Anoint your people, God, as your word is anointed. Anoint your servant. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you so much. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. The the um, beginning, the birth of this message began several years ago when a um, friend of mine, Brother Steve Buxton, who pastors down in the Chula Vista area, right by the the uh, border between San Diego, Chula Vista, and Tijuana. We uh, were going down there and having, of course, parked the vehicles and then walking across the border. They have a uh, different colored of tile, about a three-foot swath of tile there through the walkway that represents the border between the two nations of the United States of America and the nation of Mexico. And uh, as I was crossing that, that line there, I stopped and um, I looked back. I looked back at the parking lot. I looked back at the buildings in the distance. I looked at the roadway, the highway that brought us to that point. I could see that it was definitely America and all of the things that we just 
take for granted being in America. The cars were relatively new, some of them brand new. The highway was well kept. The buildings were clean, etc. And then I turned back and I looked into the nation where we were headed. And this, please don't anybody take this as a derogatory in any way, shape, or form. We're just dealing with life and facts, etc. And um, it was not that way. And um, you could see cars there. Uh, but for every nice one, what we would consider nice, there were dozens that ran the range from not nice to how in the world does it keep going. And um, there were buildings. They were not as nice. There were streets. They were not as well kept. And um, I, I thought as I stood on that swath of tile there, the subject of what I want to preach about today. Now this built over a few years, but I want to talk to us on the subject, what a difference a line can make. What a difference a line can make. And so we went on down into the city, and they, things were different there. Uh, the language obviously was different by far. Uh, thankful for those that could speak my language and sorry that I could not speak theirs. The food was different. The prices of the food and all material goods was different. The buildings had their differences. The traffic was vastly different. And um, there was a Taco Bell there. But it was different than what I'm used to with when I go to Taco Bell. And um, other occasions I've been there and driven on down further into the country. And as you head towards Encinitas, you have to, you, you head directly straight west before you take a turn at the ocean. And uh, along the lines off in the distance, you see the, the um, high chain link fence and um, some strands of barbed wire over concrete and every now and then you see somebody sitting on a wall watching the border looking and then every now and then you'll see them make a run and a mad dash they don't mind clamoring chain link and going over barbed wire they don't mind getting cut they don't mind whatever it's going to take if they can get across the border. I'll just throw this in. I live in California, and every now and then if a politician wants to get elected, he will really come across about, about uh, uh, illegal aliens and their labor. And my answer is, if you took them out of the country, sir, the economy would fall flat on its face. And if I lived there, I would be out also, praise God. And um, on this occasion in Tijuana, as I was leaving, there's an alleyway, crumbling alley. There is a fence, chain link. And as I was walking out, there was a young man 
who had his fingers entwined into the chain link and he was staring intently north towards my country. And I stopped and I watched that young man. Now, please note, and again, don't take this wrong, but there was nobody on the north side of the fence facing south longing to head that way. They were on the south longing to go this way. And I thought again, what a difference just a line can make. And it wasn't the line as much as we know what all the line represented. Now, history is replete with examples telling us the importance of lines. 1836, towards the end of the month of February, a very unique man by the name of William Travis, he was within the confines of a of a fort called Alamo and become a fort and and um, there were 160 men there 180 actually but he uh, he drew a line in the sand and said everybody that is with the cause and with me etc and wanting to stay to see this out to what turned out to be the bitter end crossed the line in mass they stepped over, uh, save one. And, and what a difference the crossing of that line. Now, militarily, uh, what they did was, was silly. But at the same token, it inspired something in the hearts of those Tejas people that they, uh, they came up with a cry that charged them called Remember the Alamo. And so that line that William Travis drew had great implications when all was said and done. September 1, 1939, the nation of Germany crossed an irretrievable line when it shot its blitzrig into the nation of Poland. And World War II began. And, and all the nations of France and England had swore to Poland, as long as they stay on that side of the line, there will be no war. But Germany, if you cross that line, there will be war. So that border took on vast implications. Every day that we live, police and sheriff departments work with lines. What's county? What is city? FBI and CIA officers deal with national boundaries as per international boundaries. Officers that work in cities and counties and state and then federal court systems, they deal with jurisdictions of lines every single day and they all have great importance. Amen. Without it, it becomes chaotic. Nobody's right hand knows what their left hand is doing. And with them, we still got problems, praise God. But as it is in the kingdom of men, not just America, but this world, with the importance of lines, so it is with the kingdom of God. It is important. It is important. In the scripture that I've read to you, 
God, if you please, had a line between those who were His people and those who were not His people. Now, Jesus was always drawing lines. There are wise virgins and foolish virgins. There are wise builders and foolish builders. Amen. There are folks that travel the broad way and those that travel the narrow way. Now, people are generally not comfortable with these distinctions, but Jesus just named them. People make the distinction as to which way they're traveling, etc., etc. And so here it is. God had a line drawn between His people. The Lord doth put a difference. And the man Moses gave a message that at midnight... Now understand that wasn't 1201, nor was it 1159. There was a line of demarcation that had to do with time. And there are lines of demarcation that have to do with time, and times, yea, and a half a time, etc., etc. God deals with timelines. Now, we're not real successful in always figuring out what His timelines are. But it makes for interesting things. Hallelujah. There was a timeline. Also, the angel came, and this angel with him was the power of life and death. There's a difference between life and death. And so there was a line of demarcation of this angel of death between life and death. That's a line. And then the Bible said he went the length and breadth of the land. Understand, Egypt solely was smitten. And whatever the boundaries of that nation were at that time was honored by Almighty God. And He didn't go past Egypt into any other nation of Africa. He stopped at the border. Because God deals with lines. And what? The angel, when he came, he was looking for lines of blood. That had been placed on the doorpost. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you, it didn't matter if you were an Egyptian. It didn't matter if you were of other nations. It didn't matter if you were an Israelite brother. It didn't matter who you were. If you had enough sense to listen to Moses and take that lamb without spot, amen, and, and get the blood and put that Put the blood on the doorpost of your house. It didn't matter what your last name was. It didn't matter what your heritage was. None of that mattered. God was looking for a line that night. Amen. That was drawn with blood. And those that failed to put a line where God wanted the line. Amen. That night there was a wail that went out in Egypt. Such as the Bible said has not been heard, yea, to this day. Now God had put a difference between those who were His people and those who were not His people. But take note, it was up to the people to draw the line. No angel came to not one house and drew any lines for anybody. God drew no lines. God honored lines 
that they drew according to His will. But it was up to the individual to take the initiative and the faith and say, I believe God, therefore I will keep what He has said and draw the line. And they that drew the line, amen, were very, very, very thankful that they had done so. This was the application of the blood for that people. It wasn't the last application, thank God. Anybody ever heard of Acts 2.38? Hallelujah. Anybody ever glad? Anybody ever glad? Hallelujah that we've obeyed Acts 2.38? Amen. People say, well, I'm interested and I'm curious. You know, in Acts 2.38, just exactly pinpoint where it was that the blood was applied. Well, brother, when you go to the tabernacle and went to the brazen altar, there was blood there. When you went to the brazen labor and the washing took place, there was blood there. And when you went to the brazen, and then when you went to the holy place and the holy of holies, there was blood there. Hallelujah. You want to know where blood is in Acts 2.38? It's in repentance. It's in baptism in Jesus' name. It's in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. But that brother is... God leaves... He, he's never grabbed one of us and made us and shoved us under the water. We've got to yield. We've got to decide. We've got to draw the line. And God honors it. Hallelujah. Nor was that the last line of demarcation and the application of the blood. Anybody thankful the blood's flowing this morning? Thank God. When they came out that great fateful night, He brought them out of Egypt to be, they were His people, but to be a special people unto Him. Amen. In the book of Exodus chapter 19, Brother Phillips, verse number 5, read. Now therefore... If ye will obey my voice. If you will obey my voice. Indeed. Indeed. And keep my covenant. And keep my covenants. Then shall be you be a peculiar. Then shall you be a peculiar treasure. Treasure. Unto me. Unto me. Above all people. Now some folks don't like the word peculiar. But God apparently did. Hallelujah. And God said... You will be... Now, I don't think we should try to be peculiar. But, He doesn't love peculiarity just for peculiarity's sake. But He understood that you people are going to be so different that as far as the world is concerned, you're going to be peculiar. But I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be my treasure. You're going to be my treasure. You're going to be my treasure. Now, brother, who cares what the world thinks as long as we are God's treasure? Hallelujah! Amen. A dear friend of mine's passed on to be with the Lord, but uh, Elder Carl Ballestero one time said he looked around on the left and the right and up and down and all that he saw and everywhere he turned. And, and one day he was praying he said, God, he said, it don't look to me like you made this world for us. And then the Lord spoke to him. He said, yes, but I'm fixing to make a world that's not for them. I like being his peculiar treasure. 
Hallelujah. If you just keep my commandments, you're going to be a peculiar treasure unto me. For all the earth is mine. For all of the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Ah, oh, but you're going to be to me a kingdom of priests. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. But in the midst of all of this, He's got a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. And you're going to be a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. These are the words that you're to speak to the children of Israel. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a peculiar treasure to God because we have His Word and His grace upon us. After God brought him out of Egypt with the lion, He began to separate His peoples from all peoples of the earth, not just geographically only, but spiritually, morally, theologically, mentally, emotionally, Financially, they were different from all other nations. They were not going to believe like the world, think like the world, feel about things like the world does, look like the world, live like the world, or give like the world. They were going to be God's treasure, God's special holy nation, God's kingdom of priests. Now he tells of this story in a parable, in a song. In Isaiah chapter 5, amen, verse 1 and 2, read. And I will sing to the well-beloved a song of my beloved. I'm going to sing to my well-beloved a song to my beloved. Touching his vineyard. Touching his vineyard. We're part of his vineyard today. Read. My beloved hath a vineyard. My beloved hath a vineyard. In a very fruitful hill. In a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it. And he fenced it. And gathered out the stones. Gathered thereof. out the stones thereof. And planted it with a choice Planted vine. it with a choice vine. And built a tower in the built midst of it. Built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press. And therein. he made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth And grapes. he looked. Thank God for the fruit thereof. Now, all of these things have import. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Amen. Jesus is the true vine. Praise God. The wine press, the Spirit of Almighty God, flows in our midst and on and on. But note, the first thing He did with His vineyard was He fenced it. First thing, He fenced it. He put a difference between his vineyard and the world beyond the fence. Now please note, the word fence, literally, the English word fence comes from defense. Defense. That's not, that's just defense. Defense. The word fence comes from defense. He put a difference. He did not fence in the vineyard to keep it from running off. He didn't fence it to keep it from running off. You can look at it, brother. If anybody, anywhere, anytime, any place wanted or wants to run off, God lets them. God lets them. You know, now, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of mythology on Abraham Lincoln. Generally, about 25% of what you read, you're really not sure if it's true or not. Really. There's so much 
come out. And uh, uh, this morning on radio, I heard this story, and I'd never heard it before, never read it before, but it's a good story. And it may be true. I hope it is. Uh, but according to the story, Mr. Lincoln went to a slave auction one time. And he saw what was going on, and there was a young, very beautiful uh, girl being sold. And he bid and bid and bid and outbid and got her. And she warily looked at him and said, What are you going to do now? He said, I'm going to set you free. Free to do what? Whatever you want. Free to go where I want to go? Yes. Free to do what I want to do? Yes. Free to say what I want to say? Yes. You mean that? Yes, I do. Well, I'm going with you then. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm on. T- that is. I'm just. Some pastors would do well to learn from that. Hallelujah. At any rate, see, I can say some things. Maybe you can. I don't know. Of course, I don't, haven't seen you really keeping quiet anyway. So it, I meant that in a positive way. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's right. So he didn't fence it to keep it from running off. You want to run off, run off. But he did fence it for protective purposes, one. And two, to declare his ownership. This is my vineyard. This is my vineyard. And I'm going to protect it. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now therefore hearken, hearken, O Israel, O Israel, unto the statutes, unto the statutes, and unto the judgments, and to the judgments which I teach you, which I teach you, for to do them, for to do them, that ye may live, that ye may live, and go in, and go in, and possess the land, and possess the land, which the Lord God, which the Lord God of your father, of your father, giveth you, giveth you. It's all contingent. Just keep the lines. And look what you're going to get. Verse 5. Behold, Behold, I have taught you statutes. I taught you statutes. And judgments. And judgments. Even as the Lord, my God, commanded me. Moses said, I'm teaching you like God commanded me. That ye should do so. Do so. In the land, whether ye go to possess it. Read. Keep therefore and do them. Keep them, do them. For this is your wisdom. And your understanding. This is your wisdom. This is your understanding. In the sight of the nations. In the sight of all the nations, your wisdom and understanding is going to be based on you keeping my statutes, commandments. Because I made all this and I made man. And I know how man ticks. And this is the owner's manual. And everything that's spinning out in this world called nations are going to look and say, how come it's working for these folks? Read. Which shall hear all these statutes. And they're and going to hear all these statutes. And read. Say, and say. Surely this great nation. This great nation. Is a wise 
and understanding people. This is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great? What nation is there so great? Who hath God so nigh? Who has God so close? What nation is so blessed to have God so close? So nigh! Read. As the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for. And what nation is there so great? What nation is so blessed, so great? That hath statutes and judgments. Statutes and judgments. So righteous as all this law. So righteous as all this law. Which I set before you this day. Which I set before you this day. It was his vineyard. He put all that in there. That it would bring forth fruit. He set apart a people for himself. He set apart a people for his namesake. He set apart a people for his glory. He set apart a people for his purpose. He set apart a people for his kingdom. I'm telling you, what a difference a line can make. And he did it all with lines and precepts. Amen. Commandments and principles. Isaiah 28, begin with verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? To whom in this earth is God going to teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Who's he going to make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk. These that are weaned from the sincere milk of the Word of God. As newborn babes they need to desire. From the breast of the church, the new Jerusalem, the mother of us all. For precept must be upon precept. Precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Precept upon precept line upon line line upon line line upon line, line upon line here a little here a little and there a little. and there a little for with stammering lips for with stammering lips and another tongue, and another tongue will will he speak, speak to this, this people, people saying to whom he says ah this this is the rest wherewith ye wherewith you cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing yet they would not hear it. yet they wouldn't hear it read but the word of the lord but the word of god whether they hear it or not was given unto them precept precept upon precept precept upon precept line upon line line upon line here a little and there a little hallelujah now, what is the difference between a line and a precept? A line is a commandment. It's there. It's chapter. It's verse. It's black and white. It's laid out. But a precept. What's a precept? A precept is a principle intended as a general rule of action or conduct or procedure. God used commandments and principles to teach us now, at Mount Sinai, amen, at Oreb, God gave ten commandments, lines. Very clear. In Exodus 19, verse 10, 11 and 12, read. And the Lord said unto Moses, God said to Moses, Go unto the people. Now listen closely. Go to the people. And sanctify them today. Sanctify them today. And tomorrow. Tomorrow. And let them wash their clothes. Let them wash the clothes. And be ready against the third day. Be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. God's coming down on Mount Sinai. Hey, everybody, listen up! 
that brought us out of Egypt is coming down on that man right over yonder. Sanctify yourselves. Wash your clothes. Get ready three days. Three. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people. And Moses, you set bounds unto the people round about. Saying, take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves, folks. That ye go not up unto the mount. Don't go up this mount. Or touch the border of it. Don't touch the border of this mountain. Whosoever touches the mount, whoever touches that mount, shall surely be put to shall death. surely be put to death. Now, Moses had the job of sanctifying the people and setting the bounds. Two things: Thou shalt set the bounds. One, two. The people, it goes on to say, were to stone or thrust through with a dart. Anything or anybody, anyone, any beast, any person that broke through the boundary. Now, please note, where on earth does a mountain start? Where does a mountain start? God said, set a boundary round about that mountain. Well, okay, there's the mountain. How do you know where a mountain starts and stops? But if anything goes past the line, it's got to be thrust through with a stone or with a dart and hit with a rock. So Moses had the job of setting the boundary. Where does the mountain start? Where does the mountain stop? There's no manual on how to set boundaries on mountains. So somewhere, God said, Sir, you've got to set the boundary. And what a difference a line can make. So, you know, let's say uh, that wall is where God says it starts, but God didn't tell him or so. So he could set it right here. And the people just, but, you know, I've lived long enough with people. I think I'm going to set it over here. Number two, if they broke through, amen, and thusly were defiling the glory on the mount, it was up to the people to throw the rock. It was up to the people to cast the dart. You would think surely with glory and power so mighty, so majestic, that the earth is trembling. There's thunders and lightnings. Amen. And the voice of words that spoke. Amen. So that Moses himself said, I exceedingly tremble. You would think with that kind of glory, that kind of power, that kind of majesty, that kind of presence, that, that some ox walking over there, that the glory would kill it. No, no, no. God said, uh-uh. You kill it. That tells me point number two. God will not protect His glory. He leaves that up to us. And if His glory doesn't mean any more to us than we're willing to protect it, He'll remove His glory. Or He'll take it somewhere where people do protect it. 
It's up to us to protect the glory of God. It's up to us to defend the glory of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. He says, Moses, that's your job. You stone it. You thrust it through. I'm not going to do it. Hallelujah. Now, I also want you to know. Amen. Read verse 15. And he said unto the people. And Moses said to the people. Be ready against the third day. Be ready, folks, against the third day. Come not at your wives. Come not at your wives. Now, I ran this by a rabbi friend of mine that every Tuesday, two to five hours I spent with him in the afternoons. And uh, I asked him about this verse. I said, God said to sanctify the people. Where did Moses come up with verse 15? His answer, and he said, most rabbinic scholarship concurs. That was Moses' idea. God said, wash their clothes, sanctify the people. Moses had the job of figuring out the sanctification of the people. And so Moses gave them that decree, come not at your wives for three days. The line, amen, was, if you please, make sure they wash the clothes, sanctify themselves. The precept, the principle that Moses made by way of application was verse 15. Now, I have a question. Would God honor what Moses said or not? Would God negate what Moses said or what? How does God feel about Moses' declarations? Amen. Uh, I said, Rabbi, what would have happened had they not done that? He said, well, obviously nobody really knows. He said, but in Jewish theology, the biggest thing about iniquity is the reward of iniquity or self-will is a greater propensity for self-will. So iniquity is its own reward in that if someone presses their will past God's will, revealed will, then they get a greater propensity for self-will in other areas. Amen. And that is the reason that when it came to, uh, you know, the Bible says in, in uh, Hebrews that almost all things were purged by blood. There were some things that were not purged by blood. Case in point, uh, when they were going to offer the uh, or make the water of sprinkling with the ashes of the red heifer that would sprinkle upon the people. The Bible said that he that killed the red heifer, he was unclean until evening. He had to wash his clothes, wash his flesh. Amen. Uh, he that burnt the red heifer was unclean, had to wash his clothes, wash his flesh. Uh, he that scattered the ashes had to wash his clothes, wash his flesh. He was unclean until the even. And, and then in Leviticus, um, I think, and I know, I know Numbers 19, I think Leviticus uh, 10, might be 15, but for yourself, there's a number of things that made individuals unclean. Uh, if a woman was in her monthly problem 
Anywhere she sat, if somebody touched it, they were unclean. If you touched a dead body or if you stepped on a grave, you were unclean. You had to wash your flesh, wash your clothes. Amen. Uh, marital relations, unclean. You had to wash your flesh, wash your clothes. Uh, and uh, if you touched the carcass of an unclean animal, if you're Fido, the dog died, you had to bury him. You had to wash your flesh, wash your clothes. You were unclean until the evening. And the Bible said the soul that would not do that would be cut off from his people. Now, how are the priests going to go around to three to five million people and say, Hey, I heard Fido die. Yeah, he did. I miss him. Did you bury him? I did. Did you wash your flesh, wash your clothes? I plumb forgot. You're out of here! Hit the road, Jack. And then go to the next one and the next one and the next one, covering five million people. I said, Come on. How's God going to judge that? He said, Well... What would happen is, because this seemed to be an innocuous commandment, it was something only God could judge. But the, the inability or intransience, rather, of saying, I'm not going to keep that, that's stupid, would allow something in a heart that lacked tenderness and lacked sensitivity that God was very well aware of. And after a while, there would be other things. One thing is principle. Another thing is lines. And, and then they start crossing lines and said, God, in His way and time, would cut off them from their people. I'm going to tell you, we need to be tender towards God in all things. Hallelujah. There needs to be a tenderness in the heart of God's people. There needs to be a sensitivity in the hearts of God's people. We've got too many bodacious attitudes. Amen. That says, I don't care what he preaches. I don't care what he says. I'm going to do my thing, brother. You have no idea what you're playing with, sir. There is an iniquity that will grow unto more and more iniquity. And then God will start visiting the iniquity of the fathers into the children. To the third and fourth generation of them that hate him. It's nothing to dabble with. It's nothing to play with. There needs to be an awe. There needs to be a love. There needs to be a respect. There needs to be a desire. I want to please God. I want to be part of His peculiar treasure. God didn't call me into this to be a fool. God didn't call me into this to be a rebel. God didn't call me into this, amen, to be selfish and self-willed. Hallelujah. We see lines and precepts all the way back to the garden. Genesis 3, verse 1. Read. Now the serpent was more subtle than, more subtle than any beast of the field. Than any beast of the field. Which the Lord God had made. That God had made. And he said unto the woman. So he said to the woman. Yea, hath God said. Now, ma'am, did God really say? Now, why did he ask her that? Because he knew she had not heard that from God Himself. She wasn't even created when God gave that commandment. He gave it to Adam. And Adam told her. Just like I can see him walking through the garden. Eve, you see that? What is it? That's a horse. Really? Yeah. God made it. I named him. Ooh, Adam. Oh. That's such a good name for that. See this? Yeah. 
That's what is that? That's a toad. Ugh. God made it. I named him. He looks like a toad. You're so smart. See that? Yeah. That's an orange. Oh my. That's good. Peel it. Eat it. Oh, so sweet. God made it. I named it. Oh. Adam. What's that? Don't touch it. Don't eat it. Don't touch it. The day we do, we die. Oh, my, Adam. My. Yeah. Okay. Why did he put it in the garden, Adam? I don't know, honey. Unless it was to see if we'd obey him or not. Unless it's to see if we'll obey Him or not. You see, even in heaven, the angels had choice. And I'll tell you something about choice. When you take away choice, you take away the ability to grow. Hallelujah. God will never take away our ability to choose things. That's the reason sometimes I'll have a saint come to me and say, Pastor, why don't you make them do such and so? My answer is, let me tell you something. Number one, there's only one omnipotent power in the universe. And that's God. He could make them do anything He wanted, but He refuses to do so. He will not trespass their free moral agency. You follow Him if you want to. I said, the choices I have is whether I use them or not. They want to be a horse, they can be a horse. They want to be a toad, they can be a toad. It's up to them. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't have toads, don't come across good in the choir. And so, here this serpent is saying, Did God really say? Well, I don't know. He didn't really tell me. I got her from Adam, see? Read. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of we the fruit. We may eat of all the fruit. Of the trees of the garden. Trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said. God said. Ye shall not eat of it. Don't eat it. Neither shall ye touch it. Don't touch it. Lest you die. Lest you die. Now God didn't say that. Technically, she could have touched it. She could have taken it. She could have juggled it. She could have put it on a fruit basket on the dining room table and never died. Where did she get this business? Don't touch. She could have only got it from Adam. And Adam was perfect. He had not fallen into sin. He was not a liar. He spoke out of love. Eve, don't touch that. And you hear me say, well, he overshot the mark. Well, brother, if she'd have never touched it, she could have never ate it. And once she did touch it, it was just a matter of time before she did eat it. Hence, what you have is the first standard in the Bible. The line was, don't eat it. The precept was, 
You don't even touch it. Hallelujah. I'm talking about what a difference a lion can make. Hallelujah. God gave the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai. And then He, with and through Moses, God gave the Ten Commandments. He, with His finger, if you please, manifested to write on tables of stone. And I'm just going to throw this your way, here and there. How much did it cost God to write that on tables of stone? His finger got dirty. Amen. But 4,000 years later, this same God is robed in human flesh. And He's come to move it off of tablets of stone into the hearts of people. And one day they came to Him and they're bringing a woman, they're dragging her. She didn't come into that midst of people with a hard, impudent forehead of a prostitute. She didn't stand there defiantly. She was abashed. She was ashamed. She was crumbling. Her world was upside down. Maybe she wanted to meet Jesus. Maybe she'd always wanted to come to His feet. Maybe she heard about others washing His feet with their tears and thought, Well, to God, that was me and my beautiful life. And they bring her in. And these folks say, This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Point number one. Well, then where's the man? Or was he one of your buddies? Or was it a setup? Now Moses said, she should be stoned with stones. What do you say, sir? So, Peter said, Stunner. They'd have gladly done it. And then said, He told us to. And the Romans would clear him up for him. If he said, No, no, don't. Then they would say, He is no follower of the law. Away with him. Forget him. And his, his influence would be washed out from underneath him. So he looks at this woman, but she don't look at him. And he looks at those men. And they are checking him out. And there's a crowd gathered. And they're standing on the edge. And everybody's got a rock in their hand. Every stone for her is one against him. And now, it's come a long ways. And he knelt down. And with a finger. Now he begins to write it, in my opinion, one more time. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Him only shalt thou serve. Two, thou shalt have no other gods before. And, and they're standing around, where did he go? Where did he go? He's down on the ground. Well, what is he doing? 
he's writing. What? He's writing with his finger. What's he? He's writing in the sand. What's he writing? It's the Ten Commandments. Well, where's he at now? He's about to get to the good one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But about that time he stands. He said, He that is without sin, far away. And he kneels back down. And he's writing. And boy, that was a shock to the system. And, and in that crowd... Beginning with the oldest man. He's got the longest record. The saddest memories. And he's closest to eternity than any of them. And he, uh, he lets go of the rock and begins to go his way. And then the next oldest and then finally there's a few young ones around. And they take off. And when Jesus looks up, there ain't nobody left but this woman that is shaking. He said, woman... Where are your accusers? And nobody is left but you. Well, I don't accuse you, condemn you either. Nor am I letting you off scot-free. Ma'am, go. Don't sin anymore. Don't sin anymore. And you hear me. Mercy and truth met that day. Righteousness and peace met. And there was a smack on the earth. And she was in the middle of the smack. And that night she's home and she's crying. My life is so messed up. And there comes a furtive knock. And she cracks open the door, and there he is, this guy. Let me in. You will never be allowed into this home, my life, my heart, ever again, sir. I simply cannot imagine that woman ever fallen prey to that again. Not after meeting Jesus. Not after what he did. Not after the load he carried. Now I'm going to ask you something, sir. I'm going to ask you something, ma'am. How hard? What did it cost God to write the Ten Commandments on a piece of stone? He got his finger dirty. What price... Did he have to pay to write it on the tables of our heart? 
He had to come and robe himself in human flesh. It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he could be at all points tempted, like as they were, yet without sin. And the things he got was they took him and they nailed him to a tree after beating his back and making it look like a plowed field and beating a crown of thorns down into his brow. And there he is. And he's hung between heaven and earth. And he's bleeding. That's the price he paid to get his laws in our hearts, to get his ways in our spirits, to get his truth in our soul. And when I see people take his word and his ways and his laws so flippantly and so lightly and so uncaringly, have mercy, sir, where is Calvary in your life? I'm going to give you another family life seminar. You ready? You know what's wrong with a lot of our young people? They see a whole lot of Pentecost, but very little of Calvary. Brother, your Pentecost is going to be as glorious as your Calvary is gruesome. We not only shout over this, need be will die for it. Because it's everything. It's everything to me. So he gave the Ten Commandments. Then with Moses, 603 more. 365 were of a negative. Thou shalt not. 365 days in a year. The Jews said for every day there's something you shouldn't do. They also thought there was 248 bones in your body. So for every bone in your body there was something you're supposed to do and for every day there was something you were not supposed to do. I'm going to move on quickly. I'm not getting done today. Mark 10, verse 2 through 5. Read. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? Who? What did Moses command you? Who? What did Moses command you? Moses. Moses. Read. And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. Moses gave you that because of the hardness of his heart, your heart. Understand, Moses was in a unique position. This commandment, this precept, this decree, this edict, this rule. And we're in the New Testament. How are things decreed? It's quite a deal, but we know we have the Word of God. In the book of Acts, it said it seemed good to us and the Holy Ghost. The us is us. 
the us is us. And the Holy Ghost is still the Holy Ghost and the Word is still the Word. And so here we are in the closing days of a crazy century. If the Lord tarries, we're going to go into an even crazier one. And God still has a peculiar treasure in this world. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's stand. And the devil is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You lock him up, put him in a bottomless pit for a thousand years, and you let him out, and he's the same devil. And humanity hasn't changed just a whole lot. No offense to you or me or us, either one. The devil has no conscience and flesh has very little sense. And we need all the help we can get. I want there to be a sensitivity in my heart. That doesn't mean preachers, whatever. Let me give it to you this way. I'm closing. We'll come back. Matthew 23. Verse 1, listen to this. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes, scribes and the Pharisees, Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They do sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. Why? Well, they sit in Moses' seat. Read. But do not ye... After their works. But don't be like them. For they say. And they do say not. and they don't live it. They say one thing and they live something else. They say and they do not. That's why you have seven woes pronounced upon them in the next chapter. And, and, and they were not in good shape. So he didn't like the way they were. But he said do what they say because of where they sat. In your Bible too. Hallelujah. But I feel we are in the midst of people and a movement. We don't want to bind burdens heavy to be born. We want our hearts to be right and sensitive. I went on long enough. Good Lord willing, I shall return tomorrow. I have got to halfway down page four and I've got 11 pages to go. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But oh God, let something be revitalized. Let something be recharged. Let something come up so alive in us. We're your treasure. We want to be what you want us to be. We want to do what you want us to do. We want to give ourselves to you. Amen. With all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. So that you can look on us and say, I'm so pleased. And I'm close. How much does he love us? John 15.
What does it mean? Verse 9. No problem. As the Father has loved me. As the Father hath loved me. Now, let's stop right there. What all does that mean? This God. Omniscient, omnipresent. Hallelujah, God. That cannot bleed, suffer, die. Cannot be tempted, neither tempteth he any man. Had spoken all into existence by the word of his power. So loved the world that he overshadowed a virgin. And in her womb something was conceived and birth was given. And when he opened his eyes, he was in the world and the world was made by him. Oh, Emmanuel, God with us. The Spirit is given unto us by measure, but it was given unto Him without measure. How much so in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. And now this God that could not bleed made a way whereby He could. And this God that cannot be tempted made a way whereby He could be in all points tempted. And this God who cannot die made a way wherein He could taste death for every man. And the man said, and how do you describe a love like that? The divinity for the humanity, the spirit for the flesh, God incarnate, God in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And yet he said, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue. That's how much He loves us. You talk about a treasure. The way the divinity loved the humanity, the way the Spirit loved the flesh, God incarnate. That's how much. And that's the way. The same way. The same depth that I love you. Man, that's deep love. And that's deep water. I feel like we're in a holy place right now. Read. Continue ye in my love. Oh, I will. I will, I will continue in your love. I don't want to do anything to mess that up. It's too sacred, it's too holy, it's too precious, it's too pure. Why would I do anything to mess up that kind of love? How how am I going to do that? Tell me. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. Lines. 
precepts. I will continue. I will walk in thoroughly and absolutely, unequivocally. And when and where I fault and fail, I'm going to run boldly to the throne of grace that I can obtain help and I can get mercy and I can find more grace to help me because I don't want to do nothing to mess up the love of God. Let's lift our hands. Let's love Him today. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you. Come on. Come on. Let's lift our hands. I want to make you happy. I want to learn of you. I want to draw nigh to you. I want to be what you want me to be. Do it, God. Do it, God. Do it. Thank you. 